you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We have a very short passage, just verses 6 through 10. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Pastor Kevin DeYoung wrote a book on guidance, and it, had a, it has a great title. Uh, let me read it to you. Just do something. I'm not done. Just do something. A liberating approach to finding God's will. I'm not done. Or how to make a decision without dreams, visions, fleeces, impressions, open doors, random Bible verses, casting lots, liver shivers. I had to look that up. Writing in the sky, etc. Maybe best title ever. Funny title, real problem. Christians can get tied into knots when it comes to decision making. I will not ask you to raise your hand if you've ever, ever been tied into a knot trying to make a decision, but we are eager to be in the center of God's will. So eager, in fact, that at times we become paralyzed lest we find ourselves out of the center of God's will. We want a sign, some signal, some clear guidance from above, and we may even look to Acts chapter 16 for some evidence that what we're asking for is not that unrealistic. We may even hope for a vision. But we need to be careful. Uh, it's easy to assume that because God worked in the lives of apostles, the way we see in the book of Acts, that God will work that way in our own lives. But you should not conclude that what Luke describes in Acts is what he prescribes for you. There is a vast difference between a description of what happened in the days of the early church and a prescription for what you can expect God to do in your own life today. Now, does this mean there's nothing for us to take away from our passage this morning? Well, of course not. And in fact, we learn that we should act boldly. Trusting God is both sovereign and good. And the boldest action you could ever take is to make much of Jesus Christ. It doesn't take much to make much of Jesus Christ when you're sitting in a pew in a Baptist church. It doesn't get easier making much of Christ in a place like this. But when Monday rolls around and there is an important decision to be made, 
If you're anything like me, there are times when you put Jesus Christ on the back burner. The boldest action you could ever take is to make much of Christ every single day of the week and every hour of the day and every minute of the hour. So we are in the book of Acts. Some call it the Acts of the Apostles because, of course, it's in a sense a chronicle of the ministry of the apostles preaching the gospel, uh, spreading the gospel, planting churches, so the Acts of the Apostles. But you know, some, having reflected upon the book of Acts, have said, actually, it's the, the Acts of the Spirit. Because when you read Acts carefully, one thing you notice is that the Holy Spirit, who is a he and not an it, the person of the Holy Spirit is acting, making sure that the gospel is preached by individuals whom he has regenerated so that they have come to submit their lives to God the Father through the work of God the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in Acts, not only is the Holy Spirit regenerating individuals that they might profess their faith in Jesus Christ, but he is moving them around, guiding them, leading them, and at times hindering them from going where they may want to go. In Acts chapter 16, verse 6, we find Paul on his second missionary journey. He's with Silas, sometimes in the New Testament called Silvanus. He's with Silas. He's with Timothy. And this brave band of pioneering missionaries has finished visiting churches planted by Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. So I love that. They go back and they check in on the saints. And having checked in on the saints, they proceed to go where the gospel has yet to be preached. By verse 10, they are on their way to Macedonia, modern-day Europe, of course. So the gospel is going forth. Now, to work through this brief passage, I simply want to make two statements and ask a question. Two statements and a question. Statement number one, Paul had a wonderful plan for his life. Paul had a wonderful plan for his life. Now, it must have been amazing to travel with Paul. He was a decisive, confident leader. Right? He was theologically sound. He stood up to Judaizers. He called out hypocrisy. He could make decisions. He said no to Mark. He said yes to Timothy. Paul knew what he wanted to do, and Paul knew whom he wanted to do it with. And everything Paul did, Paul did in obedience to the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. Paul did this. He went out and he evangelized. He, he made disciples. He taught them to observe all of Jesus' commands. He did it day after day repeatedly, as we've seen already in Acts from Cyrus, from Cyprus to Antioch to Iconium to Lystra to Derbe and back and forth. Paul is doing this. He's making disciples. He's evangelizing the lost and he's discipling the found. And clearly, 
Paul had a special relationship with Jesus. Back in Acts chapter 9, Jesus sent Ananias to Paul with these words about Paul. Right, this is, so I'm going to quote now from Acts 9. Jesus said to Ananias about Paul, Go, Ananias, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. That's the word of God delivered through Ananias about Paul. So Paul knew Jesus had uniquely called him. And so Galatians begins with these words written by Paul describing himself. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Jesus selected Paul to be an apostle. And therefore, Paul knew he had to preach. And his preaching ministry was not dependent upon the calling of men, even upon the calling of churches. Yes, Paul submitted himself to local churches like the church in Antioch, Syria, which commissioned him to go out and begin the first missionary journey. But when Paul introduces himself, he doesn't say, oh, and by the way, I studied at this seminary. Oh, and by the way, this was my mentor. And oh, by the way, this congregation of believers thinks that I'm an, an okay preacher. No, he just said, I'm an apostle through Jesus Christ. Take that. This is very unusual. This is a very unique relationship that Paul had with Jesus. And so, it's not proper to translate Paul's experience of calling to you. Now, I suppose you could go to a prospective employer and say, Hi, I'm Tom, and God has called me to bring your sales force to the next level. I don't think that would go over very well. And it's just not, not true. At least you don't know it's true until it's happened. You can't make that kind of promise. But, but Paul could. Paul had received direct revelation from God, commissioning him to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul had to preach. In that sense, he had no choice. The Great Commission was the heartbeat of his life. And so he did everything in service to that mission. He made tents to raise funds for his travels. He remained single to be freed up for these travels. Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. All right. Now, with the Great Commission in mind, recognizing his apostolic ministry, Paul had a wonderful plan for his life to make disciples in Asia. That's what the text says. He was going to Asia. Now, that would have been west of where Paul was in Antioch, Pisidia, Right, west would have been the region of Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. Right, that's, where, that's the Asia that Paul was going to. That was Paul's wonderful plan for his life. The Holy Spirit said to the apostle, no. 
So Paul and his band of brothers went north through Phrygia and Galatia, where Paul had another wonderful plan for his life, to make disciples northeast in Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus said no. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Undeterred, Paul went northwest to the port city of Troas, verse 8. So, passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. All right, so there, there, there is Paul, the apostle, back and forth. He's amazing. Uh, he is like a pinball, right? A pinball in a pinball machine. I don't know if they exist anymore, but a pinball in a pinball machine has one job, to leave the table and go down the hole at the, in the front of the machine. That is the pinball's job. And on the way to that hole, the pinball is going to be beat and battered around, thrashed to and fro, but eventually the pinball is going to complete its mission and get to the bottom of the machine. And like that pinball, Paul is forced here and there by the Holy Spirit, blocked one direction, blocked another direction, undeterred. Paul is going to continue his mission of preaching the gospel and planting churches in fulfillment of the apostolic ministry that God has given him. Now, you are not an apostle. I am not an apostle. We have not seen the risen Christ like Paul did. Yeah, we see with eyes of faith that Paul saw the risen Christ like the other apostles. We are not inspired to write the Word of God the way Paul was. Now, that's true. But let's not forget that Paul was just a man as well, a man in love with the gospel. And so you may read about the life of Paul, the way his, his heart beat with the Great Commission, the way he devoted the entirety of his life to gospel ministry, the way what he cared about more than anything else was seeing the lost saved and the saved maturing in Christ. You may see all of that and say, I know I'm not an apostle, but that's so much what I want to commit my life to. If I could just do one thing, if I could be freed up to do one thing, it would be to make disciples of all nations. I want to do that, not in my spare time, but with all my time. I want to devote myself to the proclamation of the gospel, the sharing of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, the evangelizing of the nations or the neighborhoods or the college campuses or wherever the lost are found. You may be saying, that's what I want to do. And I want to tell you that if that's what you want to do, that's a great desire to have. That's a good desire. And certainly you don't need to be an apostle to have that desire. Not at all. And the church the church, the global church, needs men and women who would devote their lives to making Christ known, especially in parts of the world where the name of Christ is not exalted. 
And so, if you have that desire, if you are thinking, that's actually something I might like to do, I want to affirm that that is a great desire because we worship an awesome God and His name is worth proclaiming everywhere. And I want to encourage you to talk to somebody about that desire. Don't just tell yourself, no, I could never do that. Maybe you shouldn't do it. I don't know. But don't assume you shouldn't do it. Talk to somebody. Talk to an elder and see if it would be wise for you to devote your life to the, the cause of the Great Commission in a unique way, not as an apostle, but as a faithful Christian missionary or evangelist or pastor. And if it is wise for you to do it, and all of us agree that that's what you should do with your life, then we have your back. And by God's grace, and as long as we're here, you'll never be doing it alone. Now, you may, as I say all of that, you may be saying, please stop looking at me. You may not want to follow in the footsteps of Paul in that way. You've got a good career, a, a comfortable home, a nice schedule of seeing family and friends, and you'd, you just, man, you love Jesus, but you'd hate to see that disrupted by going overseas. You're convinced that your future does not include bringing the gospel to Central Asians in the Caucasus Mountains or living among Afghans in Kabul. But even if that's not you, somehow your life must be about the Great Commission. Would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8? It's going to be, if you're in Acts, it's going to be a few pages to the right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. And I want you to, to notice how Paul commends the church in Thessalonica. So what I'm about to read is what Paul is able to say about the local church in Thessalonica. Paul is being guided by the Holy Spirit as he writes these words. The Holy Spirit is not a liar. What Paul is saying here is true. This was true about the entire congregation. Listen to what the Holy Spirit led Paul to write. For not only has the word of the Lord, now that would be the gospel, the word of the Lord, the good news of Jesus, right? not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, right? that would be the, the region around Thessalonica. So it would be the equivalent of saying, not only has the word of God sounded forth from you in greater Atlanta and Georgia, or in Georgia and the southeast. That would be the equivalent. So not only has the gospel sounded forth from you in regions around you, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. In other words, not only has the, have the words of the gospel gone forth from you, but your own adherence to love of trust in Jesus Christ. Your faith, your faith has a reputation. 
in Macedonia and Achaia. In fact, that reputation is so great, Paul says, and he ends the verse, so that we need not say anything. And as I read 1 Thessalonians 1.8, I think, well, this should be our church. Certainly, people should be able to say this about Mount Vernon. This is our calling. Right? I recognize it might not be your calling right, to, to go into campus ministry. It might not be your calling to go into pastoral ministry. It might not be your calling to go with some missions agency overseas. I totally get that. But certainly you would agree that it is our calling as a congregation to have not only the gospel of Jesus Christ go forth from this congregation, but our own faith, our own turning of idols toward the living God, our own love of the Lord, our own reputation for godliness go forth from us as well. I mean, certainly that's our calling as a church. So if we are going to be a faithful congregation, we must be known for sounding forth the word of the Lord. And you have a role to play in this. Like you. Like if I could look at all of you in the face right now, like you have a role in this. Right? You are part of the church. You are a member in the church. We all have a role to play. It takes each of us committing every day, committing ourselves every day. Lord, I want to share the gospel with the people in my life naturally. I want to share it regularly, often. I want to share it with a sense of urgency. I want to be known as a gospel person. I know that some people are going to think I'm kind of weird, but that's okay because you're great. It takes you having that sense of, of love for the Lord and love for the gospel, it takes all of us giving generously of our time and of our, our resources as you so generously do. But we can't stop doing it because that's the calling of the church. So even as we look at Acts 16, 6 or 10, and we see this strange man, Paul, right, set aside, he knew what his job was, period, make disciples of all nations as an apostle, right? But that, that commission it's the commission of the church. And if you're a Christian, and especially if you're a member of Mount Vernon, well, this commission is, is your commission. It's, it's our commission. So let me just put it this way, and I don't know where your mind is going to go as I say this, but let me put it this way. The church is not a cruise ship on an easy vacation. Right? Don't think about the cruise ships with coronavirus. Get that out of your mind, all right? Think of the happy cruise ships, okay? Not that we're not happy, but, right? The church is not a cruise ship on an easy vacation, but a destroyer on a rescue mission. The church is not a cruise ship on an easy vacation. Uh, I, am not, uh, I am not Julie McGregor. You don't know who that is. I'm not the cruise director right? We're not a cruise ship on an easy vacation. We're a destroyer on a rescue mission. But our weapons certainly aren't missiles and bombs, but the Word and the Spirit. And so somehow, some way, if you are a Christian, you must be part of that mission. And the moment we begin to think of ourselves as a cruise ship, we've lost the heartbeat of what it means to be a church, our calling as a church is to make Christ known. So, 
share your faith. Be known as a Christian in your community. Point others to Christ. So let me leave you with this question. What is one way you, you yourself, have sought to sound forth the word of the Lord? What is one way that you yourself have sought to sound forth the word of the Lord? Right, Paul had a wonderful plan for his life to make Christ known. Well, that was statement number one. Statement number two, God had a wonderful plan for Paul's life. God had a wonderful plan for Paul's life. Let's go back to our text. Three times God redirected Paul. First, when Paul headed west to Asia, verse 6, Paul was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Then in verse 7, the Holy Spirit is called now the Spirit of Jesus. Right? He's probably, it's the same Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. Probably to emphasize that the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity is working with Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. Maybe to emphasize that the role of the Spirit is to shine a spotlight on the work of Jesus. So maybe that's why right here Luke describes the Holy Spirit, names the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus. Either way, the Spirit doesn't want Paul in Bithynia. We don't know how the Spirit stopped Paul. Did he give Paul an inner conviction? Was it an audible voice? No, don't go. Was it perhaps a prophetic word from Paul and Silas? We learned a few verses ago that Silas was a prophet, that maybe Silas or certainly Paul, an apostle, received a, a prophetic word or an apostolic word from the Lord telling them not to go this direction or, or not to go that direction. Right? We don't know. But we do know that the Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity. We do know the Holy Spirit has been at work in Acts, personally leading people to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so by the end of verse 8, Paul, having been basically led by the Holy Spirit, is in Troas. And God makes it clear in Troas, now positively, where they're supposed to go. Look at verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now you need to realize that, that, that visions like this don't just happen irregularly today. They happened irregularly even in the days of Acts. Such visions were not common even in the book of Acts. Yes, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, while being martyred for his faith, saw a vision of Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. Yes, in Acts chapter 9, Paul, called to be an apostle, had a vision of the risen Christ. In Acts chapter 10, Peter had an unusual vision of clean and unclean animals that he was told to eat. So such visions happened. 
But even then, they were rare. They were the exceptions that, that proved the rule. But they happened, and now Paul and his team are confronted with a vision that they go to Macedonia. Now, let me make a couple quick observations about what we see here. Did you notice in verse 10 that it says, we ought to go? Right there in verse 10, we sought to go. Right, it appears that the author of Acts, Luke, is now with Paul. He's now included in this band of brothers on this missionary journey. Some have suggested that Paul picked up Luke in Troas. And so that's why it's here that all of a sudden we hear we used in a way that it has not been used in Acts 1 through 15. And what's interesting to me, I guess what amazes me, is that Luke tells us nothing about himself. If I were traveling with Paul, I would be tempted to post selfies on Instagram. Look at me. I'm with Paul. Name drop. This is me and Paul boarding a ship in Troas. Here we are eating heroes in Macedonia. All right, not Luke. We know hardly anything about Luke. Right? He documents this journey, but he, he basically leaves himself out of it. Now, why? Well, it's a record of the Spirit's work, right? It's not a, it's not a record of, of Luke's work. It's a record of the Spirit's work. And even then, Luke is shining a spotlight, certainly on the Holy Spirit, but on those men more integrally involved in the preaching of the gospel, like Paul and Timothy and others. I think from Luke, I learned that we don't have to be famous to be influential. We just have to be faithful. Paul, Luke, Paul knew Luke very well. In fact, he wound up being one of his closest companions. I wonder if Paul had Luke in mind, and I have no reason necessarily to think that he did, but when Paul said in 2 Timothy 2 to lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, peaceful and quiet, godly and dignified. Do you want that kind of life? Peaceful, working hard, quietly making Christ known as you go here and there. Well, that's how Luke lived. He was faithful. And that little we is telling. Now, another observation about what we see here. God never rebuked Paul for going the wrong way. Do you notice that? Right, either to Asia or to Bithynia. And clearly, if we can just be honest, clearly Paul went the wrong way. Right? God did not want him preaching, at least then, in any of those places. But it's not like Paul did something wrong. Right? God simply had another plan. Right? Paul's wonderful plan for his life was not God's wonderful plan for Paul's life. God redirected his steps. Perhaps God has redirected your steps. Right? It's not that you did something wrong. It's just that God has a wonderful plan for your life that isn't your plan. Right? So I need to retell the story of how I got to Atlanta. If you've heard this story, please feel free to get up, uh, use the restroom, take a nap, 
You know, there's, it's a holiday weekend. We've got some empty pews. Lean over, right? For those of you who haven't heard it, right, I'm going to tell you how I got here because I was reminded of how I got here as I read, not, not an apostle, big sign, not an apostle, simply reminded of how I got here having read Acts 16, 6 through 10. So, from the moment I entered pastoral ministry in 1996, my plan was to be in Oregon, right? Fir trees, right? Oregon, big state, just north of California, south of Washington state. I took decisive steps to get there. When I was finishing school, I asked friends who lived in Oregon, would you keep your eyes open for a church that I might one day pastor? I heard nothing. I would research, I might find about a church here and there, and uh, that would never work out. And so, doors seemed to be closing. And meanwhile, while all this is going on, I have received more than one invitation to pastor in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, eventually, I began to wonder if I should have stayed in Kentucky instead of planning to go to Oregon. In other words, I'd said no repeatedly to being in Kentucky. I began to think, well, perhaps I don't need to go to Oregon. God is sovereign over the Pacific Northwest, believe it or not. You know, He can handle the Pacific Northwest. Maybe I don't have to take action to get there. And in fact, I began just in my own, in my own heart without any opportunities on the table really anywhere, I just began wondering if I just needed to be less focused on Oregon and more focused on God. One day, while I sat in the library at the seminary, I shot off an email to a friend basically communicating that, explaining what I was thinking, helping him to come and I just wanted him to realize, like, wow, like, the Lord's really working on me. I'm, you know, I'm beginning to think, you know, maybe I need to be more open to going other places. And not simply because I was, not simply because doors had closed, just because I was genuinely beginning to wonder, should I be thinking differently about my own decision-making and what I should be open to? And so I, I hit send on that email. And less than five minutes after hitting send on that email, I received a phone call from a friend telling me to expect a call from the search committee at Mount Vernon Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, a church that I was familiar with. And that was late December of 2007. And six months later, my wife and kids and I called Atlanta home. Now, was the Holy Spirit blocking my way to Oregon? Was the Holy Spirit sending me to Atlanta? I don't know. Would I have been in sin to have decided to pack up our bags and go plant a church in Portland or Eugene or Salem? I don't think I would have been in sin to do that, even having received that phone call from my friend. And I don't think that an open door, which this was, is necessarily proof of God's will for your life. But I'd be lying if I denied that the story that I just told you has been an encouragement to me during some difficult days at Mount Vernon. Looking back, I believe, looking back, I believe God brought me to Atlanta. Here I am. <laughs> I believe God brought me here. But not because, and this is what I want you to hear, 
not because I received a uniquely timed phone call, but because regardless of how I got here, my faith is in God. And he is sovereign, and he is good, and I can trust that he is at work in the details and the decisions of my life. So I know that you want guidance. And I want you to be encouraged by passages like Ephesians 1.11. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. Not some things, not a few things. All things God works out according to the counsel of his will. He is never surprised. He is always sovereign. I want you to be encouraged by Romans 8.28. And I'm speaking here directly to, to Christians because Romans 8, 28 is about Christians, about those who love, those who love Christ. That's a, a way of saying a Christian. And we know, Paul writes, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So all things, for believers and unbelievers, all things work out according to the counsel of God's will. We know that to be true. But for the believer, all things in your life are going to work out for your good. That's what Paul says in Romans 8, 28. Christian, this is your God. Working out all things in your life for your good. So love him more. As you wrestle with the decisions that you have to make, trust him and rest in his good and pleasing and perfect will. God had a wonderful plan for Paul's life, and it was not Paul's wonderful plan for his life, at least not in the details. We don't get a sneak peek like Paul got into the direction he was going. But we get God, and it's our job to love him and to trust him and to act. All right? So I have now one question. I have one question. What's God's wonderful plan for your life? What is God's wonderful plan for your life? Now, certainly, you'd like a vision, some divine sign to help you know whether you should move, take that job, buy that house, marry that person, and so on and so forth. I said, I just said a moment ago, that it's better to trust God and act. Trust God and act. Love God and make a decision. But what does this look like? How can you better trust God while doing the hard work of making difficult decisions? I want to leave you, I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. I want to leave you with four answers. How can you better trust God while doing the hard work of making difficult decisions? Four answers. Number one, stop trying to find God's perfect will for your life. It is a temptation that we all face, and you might be paralyzed. As I said at the beginning of this sermon, you might be paralyzed because you're afraid of making the wrong decision. Right? You're like one of those people who go to the grocery store and there's like 18,000 brands of cereal and you just sit there for like eight hours. You don't know which kind of Cheerios to buy. Right? Just pick up a box. Go home. We get paralyzed trying to make the exact 
right decision because we don't want to find ourselves outside the center of God's will. But you should make decisions even when you aren't certain it's God's will for your life. Hey, take a page out of Paul's book. Paul knew he had to share the gospel, non-negotiable, called by God as an apostle to share the gospel, non-negotiable. But he didn't know where, but that didn't keep him from acting. Like Paul, arguably, no, not arguably, greatest missionary of the Christian church, right? Go in one direction, uh, whoops, wrong way. Another direction, whoops, wrong way. Finally gets to Troas, don't know where to go. God sends him a vision. This is Paul, wrong turn after wrong turn, and yet doing the right thing all along, always sharing the gospel, just not knowing where to do that. And he, it never kept him from acting. It never kept him from making a decision. Not knowing exactly where God would have him didn't keep him from going. Does that make sense? Not knowing God's perfect will did not keep Paul from making decisions and from acting. And life, our lives, are a lot like Paul's life. A lot of things about Paul that we can't really compare ourselves to. He was an apostle. We're not. But getting shut out of Getting shut out of Asia, getting shut out of Bithynia, hitting a roadblock in Troas, yeah, that sounds a lot like our lives, doesn't it? Twists and turns, false starts, steep climbs up scary mountains, doesn't mean you did something wrong. It doesn't mean you did something wrong. It just means you're not God, and that's okay. That's why Augustine famously said, love the Lord and do what you want. In other words, in other words, what he means is since you, you can't know God's perfect will with regard to decision-making, the best you can do is love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Love Him. Seek to obey Him. Seek to honor Him. Right? Love Him. Lean into Him. Love God. Seek to be a holy man or woman of God. And then recognizing that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, recognizing you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, recognizing Christ is your first priority, now recognizing all of that, do what you want to do. Go to Asia. If God wants to stop you, He can totally do that. Right? Then go to Bithynia. Uh, if God doesn't want you in Bithynia, He is totally able to keep that from happening and get you on the road to Troas, where you can catch a ship to Macedonia, when you might never have dreamed of going to Macedonia before. But lo and behold, our God is amazing. And He will take you where He wants you to be. So you act. Right. Stop trying to find God's perfect will for your life. Number two, put Scripture before your feelings. Put Scripture before your feelings. I am a, um, I'm a big GPS guy. I, uh, I'm not proud of this, but I love plugging the address into my phone and then just spacing out from the directions. Just follow the blue or purple line. I'm totally okay with that. Listen to my podcast. I don't care where I am. I just care where I eventually want to be. Again, not proud of that, but it's true. My map sometimes doesn't work. Even when it's not working, it actually is able to tell me where I am, but I can no longer find out where to go, which is a problem. Our feelings are a lot like a broken GPS. There is some value in knowing how you feel. 
It is not worthless to know how you feel. But feelings make a lousy guide. Take the prophet Jonah. The Lord told him what to do. He had God's words ringing in his ear. Go to Nineveh. Preach the gospel. Save the Assyrians. Jonah listened to his feelings and wound up on a ship headed to Tarshish instead. His feelings sent him away from the Lord. I will never forget being on the phone with a professing believer who told me that God wanted him to get a divorce. I knew something about his marriage. I knew that he had no biblical grounds for divorce. Frankly, he didn't even claim to have any biblical grounds for divorce. He simply said, I know that this is what God wants for me. That is a man deifying his feelings. That is a man baptizing his feelings. That is a man who sought to manipulate me by claiming that he had a vision from God when in all honesty, he simply wanted to do what he wanted to do. His feelings mattered more than God's word. Now, there are many decisions that you have to make that the Bible does not specifically address. And in those situations, you need wisdom. But there are decisions that you can make simply because you have God's word. If that job that you're considering taking requires you to take bribes or lie, you cannot take it. Ephesians 4.28. If you are close with an unbeliever, you cannot marry him or her. 2 Corinthians 6.14. If that next drink you're about to take will cause you to be drunk, you can't have it. 1 Corinthians 6.10. If what is about to come out of your mouth is gossip or slander, you must be quiet. James 3.10. So before you decide, before you act, check the Bible. Do not violate God's revealed wisdom in His Word. Number three, seek counsel. Seek counsel. Look again at Acts 16.10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Isn't that amazing? Okay, put yourself there. The Apostle Paul sees a vision of a man pleading with him to go to Macedonia. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? He's got a line to the Lord, and he receives a vision pleading with him to go to Macedonia. And he goes, and he, he doesn't, like, go purchase the, the ship tickets and bring them to Timothy and Silas and presumably Luke. He doesn't just go buy the tickets and say, oh, we're going to Macedonia. Actually, Paul tells them about it. He says, look, I received this vision. And you know what they did? They didn't say, oh, well, you're the Apostle Paul, so I guess that's what we're going to do. No, they talked about it. They deliberated. Perhaps they fasted and, and prayed. They wrestled with whether or not this seems in accord with God, with His Word. And after all of that, the text simply says, concluding that it was from the Lord they decided to go, that God was calling them to preach the gospel 
in Macedonia. Amazing. If the Apostle Paul did not trust a vision, but submitted it to his team for review and confirmation and counsel, how much more should we make decisions in community? How much more should we lean into the local church? Proverbs eleven fourteen, in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. You would think the apostle, if anyone was safe to make a decision on the basis of a vision, it would be the apostle Paul. If anybody was safe, it would be him. And yet, Paul seeks the counsel of others. And the church is a sea of counselors. And this will only happen in your life. This will only happen for you if you have believers in your life. Believers that you trust, that you love, that you know. So I encourage you to lean into the church. To take advantage of the men and the women around you. To be transparent with others. I love how Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 6.11. You don't need to turn there, but there he talked about opening wide your heart to others. I think a lot of the Christian life is about learning to open wide your heart to others. Right, for some of you, it's very easy to open your heart wide to others, and you're awful at opening your wide heart to God. Like you could talk all day to other people, but you never talk to God. And for others of you, you do a wonderful job of like telling God everything, but you don't tell your sister anything. Well, God would have us do both. Open our hearts wide to him and open our hearts wide to one another. I love how Darius, who so warmly welcomed us this morning, reminded me this week that when someone asks us how we can be praying for them, he said we should give them a specific answer. One small but practical way to let others into your life and to give them an opportunity not only to specifically pray for you, but where appropriate, to provide counsel to you. Seek counsel. Number four, make much of Jesus Christ. You might say, well, what does this have to do with decision-making? Well, let me explain. When looking at our verses, it is easy to get sidetracked by the extraordinary roadblocks put up by the Spirit on Paul's way to Asia and Bithynia. And it's easy if there's like one thing that one remembers from our verses, it's this strange vision of some dude pleading that they come to Macedonia. I mean, that's what one remembers, right? You remember the Holy Spirit saying no, and you remember this strange vision of a man pleading for them to come to Macedonia. But if you really want to understand what the Spirit is doing in our passage, you have to look closely at the last line of our passage where the Spirit leads them to do what? to preach the gospel, right? When the spirit of Jesus is at work, 
the gospel of Jesus Christ is celebrated and proclaimed. Jesus is made much of, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's how you know the Holy Spirit is at work, because he's shining a spotlight on Jesus Christ and his perfect life and his atoning death and his amazing resurrection and his ascension and his imminent return. The Holy Spirit is shining a light on Jesus and on that gospel, and that's what this is all about. All the Holy Spirit roadblocks right in Asia and Bithynia, and all the Spirit-led visions in Troas are about one thing, getting that gospel of Jesus preached in Macedonia. And so we all want to know, where is the Spirit leading me? Where is the Spirit guiding me? God, what would you have me do? Especially after reading a passage like this, like, God, would you please, if you just dealt with me the way you dealt with Paul, I'd have so many less worries. God, just give me a vision. But there's a much more important question to ask than where is the Spirit guiding me? The question to ask is, am I making much of Christ wherever I am? Right? As a student, as a teacher, as an accountant, as a retired person, as a painter, as a a homemaker, as an athlete, right? Are you making much of Jesus? Because that's what the Spirit does today. More than anything, the Spirit makes much of Jesus Christ. The theologian J.I. Packer put it this way, the truth of the matter is this, the distinctive, constant, basic ministry of the Holy Spirit under the new covenant, that's the work of the Spirit among Christians, under the new covenant, the work of the Spirit among Christians is to mediate Christ's presence to believers. That is, to give them such knowledge of His presence with them as their Savior, Lord, and God, that they enjoy personal fellowship with Jesus, personal transformation of character into Jesus' likeness, and the Spirit given certainty of being loved, redeemed, and adopted through Christ into the Father's family. Where is the Spirit leading you? He's leading you to make much of Christ. He's leading you to Jesus. You probably have some big decisions ahead of you, I have no doubt. And I don't want for a moment to trivialize those decisions or the the importance of the decisions or your desire to make the right decision. I've been there. I am there. I will be there. We're all there. It's all important. I simply want to remind you that the most important thing about you is not where you go to school or what job you have, or what house you buy, or what apartment you rent, or what city you live in, or even whom you marry. The most important thing about you is not where you are or what you do, but who you are. Are you loved, redeemed, adopted through Christ into the Father's family? Are you growing from one degree of glory to another? into the image of Jesus' likeness? 
Are you a brother or sister to Christ himself by his blood spilt for you? If the answer is yes, that is the work of the Spirit in your life, making Christ more important to you than anything else. And if you are not making much of Christ, it is evidence of the lack of the regenerating power of the Spirit in your life because this is how the Spirit works in the church today and every day. Make much of Christ. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the way Paul so vigorously acted to preach the gospel and the way you so definitively moved him about to and fro to get him where you wanted him to be. We know that you work that way in our lives. We know that we are all called as a congregation to preach the gospel. But Father, we pray that that gospel we preach would be the gospel that we love, that the Holy Spirit would be working so powerfully in our lives that Christ would be magnified in our hearts. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.